Compassion International and everything, the Compassion Experience. Let me just say this about that. I, I think for some of you, it may be impossible for you to go on a mission trip. And I, I know there are many who have gone on a mission trip. But one thing that happens when you go on a mission trip, especially those first timers, when you go into a third world country, what's interesting about that is it changes people. Their perspective changes when they see poverty, at least the way third world countries have poverty. We have pottery, I mean, poverty around us uh, here in the U.S., but there's nothing like a third world country poverty. It's when people are choosing to live beside trash dumps because they have no other way to receive anything. I don't know that we see it that severe here in the U.S. So I want to encourage you to, if you've never been to a third world country, you've never seen what I'm talking about, they try their best to introduce you to that. But let me say this, this is a wonderful experience for your children, for your grandchildren. If they've never seen anything like that, they will learn to appreciate you and what you provide for them once they see something like this. So I want to encourage you to sign up and be a part of this. I think it could prove to be life-changing for you and also for your family. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is uh, this is the third part of the What If uh, Sermon Series. And this morning, I want to welcome you into what we call our uh, Pleasant City 101 class. And so what I'm going to share with you is a lot of information, and it's really for several reasons. One reason is to help you, who possibly may not know a whole lot about our church, we want to introduce ourselves in a way that you can see what we're truly all about. And then for us who have been around here for a while, I want to remind us of what we're truly all about. And for me, especially as I was working on this sermon, trying to bring some new ideas into it, I preached a sermon like this very similar, similar about 18 or uh, 24 months ago. I want to show you some things that God has laid on my heart as it relates to what we've seen in the past and what we believe God wants to continue in the future. So what if part one, two weeks ago, we introduced to you the new educational facility that we believe God has in store for us to build uh, over the next several months. And so for those of you who who weren't here, hopefully you saw the, the, the video on the internet. Maybe you understand, I hope you do. We'll be voting on that at the end of this service. So if you need to get up in the middle of the service and go back there and look at the drawing, <laughs> no, don't do that. That's kind of distracting. But anyway, I, I do want to encourage you to kind of, uh, this is the Sunday we will, we will be voting on that. And then last Sunday, I shared with you the importance of church unity, why we need to be on the same page, why we need to lock arms as we move forward into what God has called us to uh, as it relates to building his kingdom. And then, as I said before, what if part three today is what we're all about as a church? I want you to turn to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, I've spoken from this text many times. Matter of fact, the reason I do is because I want to remind you that the early church seemed to have it all together when it came to the premise of why the church was created in the first place. So in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at that. While you're turning there, I want you to understand that we as a church, we have cultural values. And the first four are essential to who we are. Many of you know that cultural value number one is that Jesus is our lead story. When he leaves the lead story, we need to shut the doors. 
Because then we're not relevant to what we've been called to do. He must be our lead story. So that's our first. Second of all, scripture and prayer are prime. We hold them up. They are what we're all about. If, if Jesus is our lead story, we need to know what Jesus says about what we're about. And we know that that happens through the scriptures and through prayer. And then three, worship is a lifestyle. It's not just something we just did here, uh, right here in this room. It's what we carry outside these doors as we honor, as we make him known throughout the world. And then number four, and this is what we're hitting on today, we are a family. This church is a family. At least that's the goal, that you become a family with us right here at Pleasant City. So look at the introduction. What if you joined our church family in fulfilling the endless opportunities and potential that our God-sized vision brings? What if you became a part of this church? What if God brought your gifts, brought your resources together with the gifts that are already here and the resources that you have for us to impact the kingdom of God? Now, here's what I want you to think about. This life is not very many years when you really think about it. How many of you remember when you were younger in your teens and 20s and 30s and thought, man, life, this, is, this, thing's, this thing's a long time, isn't it? I mean, they, you know, how many of you remember looking at 70 and 80-year-olds thinking, man, they, they've been around for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're 50 and 60, like I'm starting to move in those territories and life is flying by. And I look back and I'm thinking, where did it go? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, how many of you are grateful that this is just the beginning of what true life is really all about? This is just the beginning. And there's so much more in eternity. And so what we need to understand, not only as a church, but we as individuals, is we need to be a part of basically impacting eternity. That's what we're called to do. That's what the great commandment was all about, to impact eternity. And if we're not doing that, we're totally missing something. And the only way we can get there as a body of believers is through understanding who we are and where we're headed. So I want you to look, first of all, in your outline, four levels of becoming part of the family. And the first level, level number one, is membership. Membership, just choosing to belong. Choosing to belong to a local church, whether it's here or wherever it is, we all as believers need to be a part of a local body church that I believe that needs to be impacting eternity. And so in Acts chapter two, look at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified. This is Peter. He's preaching this great sermon that we read about in Acts chapter two. And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church, were added to them, all because people got excited about what God was offering. Level two, partnership, doing my part. Now, let me just say this about many people in, in the local church. There's a lot of people in the lo local church who choose to basically belong. 
They'll come in the form of membership. Maybe it's because they believe what the church is doing. Maybe it's because they, they want to uh, uh, maybe uh, pack their profile of salvation and to say, see, Lord, I've not only accepted you, I joined your church. And that's great. I understand all that. But here's what we need to understand. There's a bigger commitment that is on our lives as members. And it's that we not only move from membership choosing to belong, but to partnership serving and doing our part. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. It says, and they continued, those 3,000, those people came together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They, they fellowship. Here's what I want you to understand. They fellowshiped around the word of God. That's really what the apostles' doctrine was. That was the word of God they had at that time, what they were saying. And the fellowship. They were fellowshipping they, they didn't come study the Bible and then have a chicken dinner afterwards. They were fellowshipping around the word itself. It was something that they were passionate about, something that they were passionate about studying and looking at together and coming together, understanding it more fully. And it says it went even further. This is where the, the fellowship we understand, in breaking of bread and in prayers. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were studying the word together. That's true fellowship. And then the Bible says, then fear or respect came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. There were great things happening. They began to see this miraculous work that God was doing amongst the apostles, amongst the people that were there. Miracle after miracle was taking place. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you think 3,000 souls being saved would be a miracle? 3,000 people out of nowhere. We have the beginnings of the church. Level three, friendship, learning to share. So as we go from membership, choosing to belong, the partnership, doing our part, to friendship, learning to share. Look at verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were together. They were moving in the same direction. Many of them sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now you may look at that and say, okay, now we're sounding like a cult here. <laughs> That's not exactly what was going on. In the first century, when the church, the outbreak of the church began to happen, it was at the time of Pentecost. And there were hundreds of thousands of people in the city. This is Jerusalem we're talking about. This is the birth of the church. And all of a sudden, all these people got saved. Now, guess what happened? Normally, after Pentecost, they would leave and go back to their homes. But you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to hang out together. They, they, they began to form bonds because they were a part of the church. All of a sudden, there were needs everywhere. They, well, how are you going to feed all these people? People started coming out of the woodwork. Another day, we read that 5,000 were added to the church. Would you call that revival? And just think, there wasn't Hardee's and Bojangles on the corner. Someone had to feed all these people. And all these people were, had needs. And all of a sudden, the church, those who were there, all of a sudden, they saw there was something greater than what their life was just all about. And they began to give to that and pursue that and move in that direction. They did whatever it took to meet the need that God put before them. 
You say, well, how about today? Yeah, I think there's times where, where we really need to evaluate the needs that are out there. Whether we're talking about giving the missions or building a building to reach more people, whatever it is, we got to get to the point where we gladly come together to share in the common cause that God has called us to impact the kingdom of God. And so we see the membership, we see the partnership, we see the friendship, the bonds that are starting to be formed. Level four, we go a little deeper, kinship. Loving believers as family. A lot of talk in the Bible about brothers and sisters. And you know, some people, when they look at that, uh, 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 there's, a, there's a pastor in the community, every time he see, hey, brother Brian, listen, how you doing? I'm like, how you doing? <laughs> maybe I need to be a little more excited about how he greets me and greet him the same way but anyway but that's what it's all about it's about being brothers and sisters in Christ where we care about what happens to one another and let's face it we our church has taken some hits here recently in some families there there's some people in our church right now some families going through our church that things they never thought they'd ever have to go through and we need to be there. There needs to be a closeness about us, a bond about us, that when one hurts, others hurt. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. And that's what's going on here in verse 46. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food. You know why it says breaking bread from house to house? People were getting food wherever they could get food, and the Christians were opening their homes to whomever. They were addressing a big need that was happening there in the first century. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I think most people uh, look at this and say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. Listen to this. It's the idea of celebration minus selfishness. That's what that phrase means. They were celebrating. There was no one sitting around saying, well, what about me? There was no one saying about rights. Well, how dare you? And why am I feeding all these people? And can't they make their own food? <laughs> I mean, they were just basically, they were just caught up in this like you wouldn't believe. Wouldn't it be cool to see a church just get all caught up into what God was doing and get all caught up in the lives of other believers, that there was a joy there, that no one was sitting there trying to manipulate the situation. No one was there trying to push their agendas. We were just there, just doing what God called us to do, realizing eternity awaits, and we have the privilege to impact eternity right here in this life. Then it says they were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church, how? Daily, those who are being saved. I want you to look at this. Membership. We choose to belong. And I am so grateful that so many have done that over the years. But it goes a little deeper. I mean, think about it. Then there, there comes a partnership. We began to partner together to do what God calls us to do. But that bond grows deeper. We become friends. We begin to, to, to be there for one another. And then kinship. We're just one big family, and that's what it needs to look like. And so what I want us to do is I want us to transition into <clears throat> the five things that we believe unite us as a church family. Number one, our salvation. What brings and holds us together? Now, I want you to think about it. We live in a world in which many people live their lives never fully realizing what their true purpose is in life. No one, I mean, it's amazing. People are just doing life. People are just existing. 
They don't see that their life is headed somewhere. They don't see that there's a purpose why they were created. The basic question any person should have is this. What is the meaning? What is the true meaning of my life? I want you to think about when it comes to what God provided for all of us. He provided us salvation. That is the thing. That is where the bond begins. That's where we have all things in common. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. And listen to what that includes. Our nature is that we are sinful people. How do we know that? Because we know two-year-olds, right? We didn't teach them how to do what they do. They just do it. It's in their nature. That's who they, they were born into that nature. Not only that, we choose to sin. We're sinners because we sin. And then there's that idea that our condition is that we're lost. We're hopeless in our own situation. But then God provided. What did he provide? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who would bring redemption for man, bring, bring redemption for you and I. And he comes and, and he brings that. And it's not by works. We can't earn our way there. We couldn't, we couldn't earn our salvation. It's something he did on our behalf. It was instigated through grace. But it was Jesus providing for our condition and the problem of our sin by sending Jesus. But it doesn't end there. There has to be a response to it. There has to be the idea that we've repented of our sins. We've turned from the ways of the world. We've turned to the Lord himself. And, and, and that we've asked for that forgiveness and the idea that now we choose to live for him. But not out there by ourselves. I can't tell you, and it's really a commentary on some churches and maybe even ours, but I can't tell you how many times I come across people that I try to engage in a spiritual conversation with them and, and, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, you know, son, I love Jesus with all my heart, but, but I don't like the church. You ever heard people say that? That's sad, isn't it? Breaks your heart. It makes you wonder what's happening there. But listen, we're called to be in, in a bond. Look here on the screen. Once we receive salvation through Jesus Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Bible says, it's not me making this up, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. The same core of who you are is with the professing Christian that may be sitting beside you. The same thing, the, the Holy Spirit who's, who's seeking to use us to impact eternity not only lives within you, but lives within that person possibly seated beside you who also knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then he brings us together. This is what blows my mind. He brings us together into what we call the church. And then he uses our gifts to serve God as he places us into a local church family. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to invite you if you've Never joined the church and you so desire, you, you believe God has placed you here. And to me, that's very important. We don't want anyone here that God hasn't placed here. You understand that, right? It's God who adds to the church. It's him bringing us together with one another. So our salvation unites us. But second of all, our story, how the Lord has brought us together. I want you to look at some of these early, early pictures. These go way back. This is the tent. This is, this is how this church began. This is back in 1949. 
and you'll see the tent, and then you'll see the first building, and you see those who gathered. Some of your family members are probably sitting there. Uh, and what's interesting about all that is the fact that this is our story. This is how it all began back in 1949. How many of you would like to go back to 1949 when there were no cell phones, there was no social, everything just seemed so simple? Some of you are like, yes, I'm in. Yeah, it's amazing how complicated life's become, isn't it? It's almost refreshing to look at something so old. And, and, and you look back, and I gave you this quote a couple of weeks ago. I want you to think about what was happening at this scene. The Holy Spirit of God was at work among these. As they continued to talk, their interest grew. You know what comes to my mind when we read about something like this? Words like anticipation and excitement and expectancy come to mind as I think of this phrase. Do you realize that we benefit from the move of the Holy Spirit that was done in back in 1949, that we benefit from where we, are, where we are today, what they sacrificed, what they did, is something that we have built upon to this day, started back 69 years ago. Our story continued at the 50th anniversary celebration in 1999. Now, the reason I bring this date up is because this is when I became the senior pastor, and this is the most of the history I know about. There's probably far greater things that happened before I showed up, but, but it's really interesting that uh, in 1949, in October, at our 50th anniversary, in 1999, I preached a sermon in Joshua chapter 1. And, and, and it's funny, when I think about that, I, I was 33 years old, and I thought I knew a lot. And then I became a pastor, everything, I didn't know anything, <laughs> fear, <laughs> no. But it's really interesting, but, but there's something God, I have no doubt God laid this on my heart. It was a four-part sermon, four-part sermon, Joshua chapter 1. And here's what God laid on my heart that day. This was almost 20 years ago. We're getting real close to 20 years ago. The first thing I challenged him with was remember the sacrifice behind us. How many of you remember already the sermon? How many of you remember the language? We gotta remember those who went before us. There were those who, who made some investments. You see, where we are in Joshua chapter one, Moses has died and Joshua now leads the Israelites. It's a new generation that's setting out and, and, and they're there, Moses in Joshua chapter one. He's just died. He just passed away. He's, everything's been turned over to Joshua. And Joshua's basically challenging the people saying, this is a new day. This is a new opportunity. This is, what are we gonna do with what's out there in front of us? By remembering those things that were behind them. The second challenge I gave the church was resist the complacency among us. You see, what had happened is when you look at the story of Moses, Moses never led the people into the promised land, did he? No, there was a lot of complacency that was going on. They stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. Complacency. And it was that idea that we need to get busy. And, and keep in mind, experiencing the reality of the vision, I want you to think about what it would cost them. And they began to understand. And all of a sudden, there were these ideas that there were giants how many of you remember giants were in the land? There were giants that had to be defeated. Do you remember the report from the spies? There's some big old jokers over there in that land. And we gotta fight them? You wouldn't believe it. I mean, so the giants had to be, to be defeated. Walls had to come down. Most of the cities in the promised land had these huge walls. How do you even conquer that? Mindsets had to be changed. 
In Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, it reads, even after some victories, there was still much land to possess. There were still more victories required. It would be easy to rest on this church's past victories. There were still enemies left to conquer, walls that needed to come down, work that still needed to be done. And this is the type of challenge that we raised back in 1999. And then, thirdly, the release the fears within us. In chapter one, four times, God encourages Joshua to be strong and courageous. Now, why would he have to tell Joshua four times to do that? Because he was terrified, y'all. Terrified. He, you know what he told him in verse six? If you go and study chapter one of Joshua, in verse six, God said, trust my promises. Trust those things that are already out there that I told you I would do. Next, he said, trust my word. My word is it's out there. I've already given you everything you need to know. Trust it. Trust my direction in verse nine. And then verse 18 says, trust my protection. Just go. For us, I said this back then, for us to become the church God intends us to be, we must overcome our fear with, with faith. It has to happen. Do you know why sometimes we hold on to traditions like we do? Because we fear the unknown. We fear what might be required of us. And so you know what? Traditions, do they build complacency? Most certainly. But what's the motivation for it? It's because many times we fear the unknown. Traditions, you don't have to worry about that. Now, are there some good traditions? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> okay? And I'll tell you, there's, there's some things that traditions, there's some things that are back there that need to be cherished, that need to be brought in and be remembered. I get that. But so many churches are, are caught up in their traditions. And the main reason, you say, well, why would they be so caught up? The main reason is they fear what may be expected of them. They fear it may be different. I thank God that 20 years ago, when this challenge went forward, we didn't allow our fears to hold us to where we were. That we began, even though we didn't understand at times, even though we knew it would be uncomfortable, even though we knew pref preference-wise we don't like it, we still continued to move forward. And we continued to walk and go and, and do what God's called us to be, not only for what was in the back that we need to remember and honor, but also what needs to be in the front of us. And that's to reach all people and all generations to make sure that this church continues after we're gone. I'd hate to think that within 10, 15, 20 years, when many of us will be off the scene, and including myself, that all of a sudden, it had no reach anymore, this church. Wouldn't that just break your heart? I could introduce you to many churches in this county that unless things don't change, that's what's going to happen. All the sacrifices that were made that could reach further than this church even, just gone for nothing. And then all of a sudden, you look at a church that says, you know something? It may require some changes to keep going forward. And I just want to tell you, thank you. Even those times you said, I don't like it, but maybe it's just something we ought to try. Thank you for being that church. 
And I know you're sitting here right now thinking, what are you getting ready to tell us? I promise nothing. We've conquered a lot of those things. I promise I'm not going to get ready to hit you with another whole big old load. I promise you that's not coming. I'm here to commend you, to let you know that this will pay off. This will happen. I'm not even going to give my resignation after this sermon, I promise. But I'm here to tell you that this is what it's all about, that we trust God, that we keep moving. And next, I challenge our church to respond to the vision that was before us. Back in 1999, I said, let's just go for it. I don't understand it all. I got fears. Listen, I had every fear Joshua did. Go read about them. You can see it. But God said, keep moving. And God kept us moving. You know what I thank God? That we didn't follow the way of the Israelites. You know what happened? They had some victories. They had some quick victories. There were some miraculous things God did. I mean, walls came down just by marching around. Remember the story? I mean, it was just like one thing after another. God was just doing and moving. And all of a sudden, they didn't finish the task. And they said, you know something? This is enough. And they became complacent. Did you know that poor nation known as Israel is still suffering because of their complacency even that far back? The enemy's still right there. And it's real to them, even, even recently. And the thing that we need to understand is that we got to keep moving forward. We can't ever say we've accomplished what we've got. No, we got to keep moving. Keep moving. I want you to think about it. from that special service in 1999. We didn't follow what the Israelites did. We didn't break down into defeat to defeat after defeat after defeat. I want you to understand what happened here. Our attendance and our budget has almost tripled. Almost $17 million has come through budget giving. Right here in Shelby, North Carolina, in a church, we don't, we're not, we don't, listen, we don't have the deep pockets in this church. How many of y'all know that? We don't. And God just continues to bless this place because people step up. And, and over $3.5 million since 19 have gone to missions. Listen to this one. And, and you say, well, that, that 565 baptisms. Since 1999, you say, well, that doesn't average out to be. Listen, that's a lot of people. Sure, you could go to Charlotte and see some giant numbers, but this is Shelby, right? And I'm not making excuses. Could God add 3,000 to the church tomorrow? By all means. But I want you to know we've gone for it. We've seen the fruit. We've seen how God has blessed us. Some of your children have been saved. Some of your grandchildren have been saved. Next, we see our statements, what we believe. There's a book back there on the table. We ask you to take one per family, if you will. And if you already know it, don't even worry about picking it up. <laughs> but this is the booklet we carry people through with our Pleasant City 101. This is required before you can become a member. You have to go through the class. The good thing is you're going through the class right now. You don't have to take it, okay? So, so here's the book. And in the book, we talk about our doctrinal beliefs. Let me tell you, just give me an overview of our doctrine. We are very conservative when it comes to our view in Scripture. Very conservative. We believe what the Bible says is what you do. We believe that. We, we believe that it's inspired by God. It's infallible. It's the authority. There's authority that comes with Scripture. It's what we've dedicated ourselves to do, to live by. That's what we've chosen. That's what we see. 
Next, we have our cultural values. You can go on our website. You can go on our app. You can see both of these. It's right here in the book. But I want you to understand that we don't just exist, just kind of exist. We exist for a purpose. And we want to bring people together around what we believe God's called us to be. Next, our strategy. How do we fulfill our purpose? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us the great commandment, Matthew 22, says, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. It doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? But second of all, the great commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. All churches we have to wrap ourselves around those. That's what we've been called to do. Our strategy, how do we fulfill our purpose again? Our vision, listen, our strategy is to challenge people to move through the process of spiritual growth. We call that discipleship. That can be facilitated through our church family in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a method to this that we use and it's our vision. Number one, love God. How many of you know what the second one is? Connect with us, thank you. And then what? Reach the world. So here's what we're looking at. Love God, we are challenged to faithfully attend the worship gathering right here where God's word is preached and where we demonstrate our love for God and display that love through our obedience and responding to his word. It is through this step that we are challenged to commit to be a part of a local church family. Connect with others. It's the idea. It's the second step in the process. It's to get connected in a small group Bible study. We call them connect groups. In these groups, we grow in our relationship with other believers and grow in our understanding of God's word. And then there's reach to the world. The final step in the process is to challenge those in connect groups to be involved in some aspect of ministry and in some aspect of mission, either in our community or around the world. And here's the bottom line. We believe that when people get committed to this vision, they open themselves up to God to do amazing work in their lives. In the processes of living their lives in the midst of the body of Christ, he will draw them into oneness with him and to oneness with others. And y'all, we call this life change. And you know what's cool about this? I've seen that happen in many of your lives. Many of your lives. And I'll just praise God for what he's doing. Could we improve? Most definitely. We're always a work in progress. But God's done some pretty amazing things. Lastly, our structure, where we fulfill our purpose. Our affiliation is with the Greater Cleveland County Baptist Association. We work with 85 other local churches in this area to help reach Cleveland County. We also are connected at a state level. There's over 3,000 churches that fellowship like us with the goal of evangelizing our state. And then the Southern Baptist Convention, over 40,000 churches that cooperate together in a worldwide effort to do missions. Some people have asked, why don't you just become a non-independent church? Let me just say this. If you don't know anything about Southern, Southern Baptist churches are independent. We just choose to cooperate with other churches. That's the only thing. So listen to this. 
We are independent. Every SBC church is completely independent. There's no denominational control or hierarchy as there are those in many other denominations. Each church is self-governed and determines its own affairs. For example, every SBC church chooses its own pastor, owns its own buildings, its own assets. Every SBC church determines its own ministry. We just agree to do missions together. And by the way, every SBC church is not alike. There's a lot of differences. Some of those differences we agree to disagree on, just to be honest with you. But we do all hold the the truth that Jesus needs to be the lead story. And he needs to be known and glorified through all nations. That's our purpose. That's why we cooperate. So here's the application. The difference between attenders and members can be summed up in one word, commitment commitment. We never ask our members to do more than the Bible clearly teaches. These responsibilities are clearly spelled out in what we call our membership covenant. And the first thing in that is I will protect the unity of my church. That's what I spoke on last week. If we don't have unity, we're not accomplishing much, just to be honest with you. We have to have unity. Number one, by acting in love towards other members. First Peter 1, since you have purified your soul and obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's the kind of love we need to have for one another. Next, by refusing the gossip. Now, let me just say this. Y'all may be gossiping. I don't hear about it. Maybe you are. You need to stop, by the way but I don't hear it. And, and I, thank you. If you're talking about me, just come to me and tell me. I'll be, you know, if we can agree to disagree. <laughs> but, but it is. It's the idea that we're going to protect the unity. Next, by following the church leadership. You say, okay, now we're again sound like a cult. No, we're not. Let me tell you what God's word says in Hebrews 13 about leadership. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. I'm going to be held accountable to what God's called me to be here. It's a lot of accountability. I take it very seriously. Have I I failed at times? Yes. But, But I take it very seriously, and our pastors do. We know the trust that people put in us. I'm just going to be honest with you. That was the hardest part of accepting the idea of being a pastor was that kind of authority, was that kind of trust that people would have. It almost called me to turn and go the other way. I didn't really understand that going into it. But it's very serious. And then it says this. I love this. And let them... Do so. Let them lead with joy and not with grief. I can't tell you how many pastors I know that every week they're faced with another grief that they're dealing with in their ministry. I don't know how some of them do what they do. I've recently met with two young pastors in churches and they tell me things they're experiencing that I've never had to experience as a pastor. And I thank God I haven't, but my heart breaks for them guys. I mean, we've dealt with some pretty tough things here. But there's some churches out there right now, y'all, that are just, it breaks your heart to see what's happening in churches. But it's the idea 
So let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If every time they turn around, it's grief after grief after grief, because you know what happens many times to pastors that deal with that? They become discouraged, and they get to the point they can't even minister anymore. And I'm not so sure these two young guys aren't close to that, because they don't have anything left. They've given it all they've got. Thank you for not being that church. But it does break your heart when you watch it. Next, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its spiritual growth. Secondly, by inviting the unchurched to attend. And thirdly, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I can't tell you how many times we're hearing people that say, this is a friendly church. Some of them even say it sarcastically. I've been greeted here 10 times already this morning. I say we just wear them out, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Next, I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents. And I'll use those things. And then by being equipped to serve. And then thirdly, by developing a servant's heart. Fourthly, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving obediently and generously. Because again, we're called to impact the kingdom. The kingdom. And then all they think, listen, we don't ask people to turn in pledge cards around here. We don't ask people to turn in. This is just something between you and the Lord. I just want to ask you, if you're a member here, be what God's called you to be when it comes to being a member. And if you're just a member here, Learn, to, learn that it's important that you become a partner, that you become a friend, that you become a part of the family. That's the goal. And if you're not a part of this church, maybe God's calling you to be a part. We'd love to have you. But this is what we're asking. Nothing more than what the Bible says. So here's the conclusion. God desires that his church belong to a local, biblically-oriented church. We accept members who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing who he says he is, repenting of their sins, and coming by faith into a relationship with him. And so how can you become a member? Well, by baptism. If you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says one of the first things you do is profess him publicly, publicly. And we use that as baptism. We believe it's in the Bible. Second of all, maybe you've already been baptized. It's a transfer of your membership from your previous church. You come to be a part, or maybe it's a statement of faith. Maybe your previous church no longer exists. Maybe it's another denomination, and they don't care too much about you joining our church. <laughs> Whatever it may be. There's a way you can join our church. And then, here's what we're asking to do. Not only be a part of that covenant that we make with each other, not that you turn that in or anything, that's between you and the Lord, but that we look to the next 20 years of what God may continue to do here in this church. Remembering the sacrifice behind us, resist the complacency among us, release the fears within us, and respond to the vision before us. That's what we're calling all our members to do. And if you want to join in that, we'd love for you to be a part of this place. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, please. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know where God has you this morning. I know that you're not here by mistake. I believe that God brings people together. And so in this moment of invitation, we are going to sing a hymn of invitation. Myself and Gary will be here at the front. 
If you believe this is the church home God has for you, we, we gladly take your membership, either by baptism, transfer a letter, or by statement. And we can explain that to you if you don't understand all that. But we'd love for you to be a part of this place if God's calling you to be a part of this local body. We'd love to have you if God's calling you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a greater need than just joining church this morning. We invite you to come to know him. Just do what God's calling you to do. Maybe you're a member and you just need to recommit yourself as being a member here. Whatever God has you to do, just do what he's calling you to do. Father, we thank you for what you're capable of doing. We ask your Holy Spirit to move on our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us? We'll be here at the front if God's calling.